You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how Carrie Ann found joy, wealth, and freedom on her journey to financial independence. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Super excited to have you joining me for this podcast episode. I'm so excited to have today's guest on the show. Now, you know, I love talking to different types of people, different people on the journey at different points. Some of my favorite interviews are of people who have actually reached financial independence because so many of us want to achieve that. So many of us are still on that journey. So what does a life of financial independence look like? What does it look like for someone who was able to retire early? And I have a story for you. So I'm going to be talking with Carrie Ann, who was able to retire early with her husband. And you'll hear how she did it, how she started the journey, how through a few years build up their their portfolio, their businesses, their income to really create this life where they could reach financial independence. I love how Carrie Ann talks about her day, what it's like now that she's reached financial independence, about the real key factors that allowed her to reach it. And so I'm, I know you're going to get a lot from this interview. Now, before we hop right in, I want to say that I could not get into everything I wanted to with Carrie Ann. We had but so much time. I wanted to be respectful of that. But I could literally have I could have talked to her for hours and you could you're going to hear that in the interview. But what I'm excited to share with you is that Carrie Ann will be in the Journey or Launch Club. So that's my membership community where I'm able to dive deeper with podcast topics, with guests, with just overall content for the podcast. And so Carrie Ann is going to join us in the Launch Club to do a live after show with us to discuss her story a bit more, answer some questions for journeyers in the community. So if that's something that sounds amazing to you, I hope it does, then come on, join us in the launch club. You can join us at journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. Carrie Ann will be joining us on the 22nd. Also, we have some exciting programming in the launch club coming up this month and some other stuff. So I'll wait until the end of the interview to talk about that a bit more, but come join us in the launch club. It's where we really are able to like support you on your journey to financial independence and freedom. And so you could find more information at journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. Okay, so with Carrie Ann, this episode is episode 80. If you want any of the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 80. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, enjoying this content, please don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's get this information out there. Let's get your fellow friends, your family, whoever that you want on this journey with you, let's send this to them so they can join you, right? So if you want to do that, just send them to journeytolaunch.com, at me, at them, and any post on any social media, post it on your social media. Let me know what you thought about the episode. This is how we spread the word. As always, I'm Journey to Launch at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you want to at me, tag me, let me know what you thought of this conversation. Now, without further ado, let's hop into this amazing conversation with Carrie Ann. 
Hey, Journeyers. I'm really excited to have today's guest on the podcast, Carrie Ann Rockamore. Hi, Carrie Ann. Hi, how are you? Good, good. And so I gave a little <laughs> background of you before we started this um, separately, but I want to have you come in. I was so excited to get to talk to you because I saw you first on Instagram and went to your site, thebestchapter.com, and I was just like, amazed by one like the way you describe your journey the fact that you are Mm. actually financially independent and then like the processes that you have created to basically Mm. like get to where you are and then like review that like so you have this like annual review that we'll get into because I definitely want my journeyers my people (laughs) to like get that and to hear that but first of all um just welcome to the podcast welcome to the show I'm happy to have you here thank you thank you so what stood out the most? So I went through your site and what I loved about it was I went to your about page and you kind of listed, <laughs> you listed up like obviously what, who you were, what you were about. But then you said here is kind of a bit why I'm different than most fire bloggers. And I'm just going <laughs> to list these things out <laughs> and I'm going to list these things out and I want you to kind of, and that's how we're going to like dive deeper into your story. But you okay. basically, you say I'm a woman of color living in Detroit, not a white guy working in tech. Uh, You loved your job before you did retire early and you both you and your husband retired at the same time. So your retirement is not based on a spouse working and earning a six figure salary. Um, And you had a couple more, but Mm -hmm. love that. So tell me a little (laughs) bit more about yourself. So women of color living in Detroit who loved their job. Like, how did you then, you know, how did you get on this path to FI? Well, it really started, um, you know, I, I think probably lots of people uh, have this moment, right? Um, when you, you know, you've been sleepwalking through life and through your finances, and then you wake up, right? And, you know, my moment was in 1999. My husband and I had moved to Los Angeles. Um, I had my first job uh, after graduate school. Um, and you know, we were both working professionals and, you know, living in an awesome city. And then one day I went to pick my husband up and I pulled up (laughs) like I did every day. And he was standing outside with a big brown box. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And then he, the closer I got, the more I could see his face. Um, He's typically a very affable person. Uh, He had this very stern look on his face. And uh, he got in the car and threw the box in the back and said, just drive. <laughs> I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you've ever had a brown box, you know what that means. He got fired. So um, we're driving home um, on the L.A. freeways. And I just remember this moment of like, wow, I feel terrible for him. Um, and I want to be a good partner and be empathetic and really listen to what he's going through. Because um, he's certainly never been fired from anything thing in his life. Um, But I really couldn't concentrate because uh, in my gut, I was absolutely panicking, Um, panicking about how on earth we were going to make it, how long we could make it without his paycheck. And also just this wave of shame. Um, Here we were two professionals with five degrees between us. And we were living check to check. And you know, I just didn't know how we were going to make it. And, you know, it's a pretty awful moment, right? Um, We went to 
uh, we got home and we just started to have some really candid conversation. And the realization we had from that moment was that, you know, we, we can't allow ourselves to ever be in this situation again. And while we don't control everything in our lives, and there's plenty of things that we don't control, um, we, we do control our spending and we do control our saving. And so I think for us, that was, you know, we just had a rude awakening. Um, and everything, you know, turned out okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got another job and uh, everything was fine. Um, but we weren't going to be the same after that. And so we really had to figure out, um, knowing absolutely nothing about finance, um, how are we going to learn? And how are we going to get control of our money so that we never have to have a moment where I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. Right now. So can I just jump in and ask what you guys did at that time as professions? Sure. Sure. My husband was a consultant working at a large consulting firm. Um, and I was a professor. So I had just gotten my uh, first job out of graduate school. And I was a assistant professor at Pepperdine University in Malibu. Nice. What were you teaching? Or what did you teach? I'm a, I'm a sociologist by training. So I was teaching in a social science division. Okay. All right. So then just to kind of go back and set this, the stage, you guys were living your best lives, it seems in LA. And then the the rug was basically pulled out from under your feet when your husband was fired. Mm -hmm. And so then what was the next step? So after that kind of like shame and that's that realization that you did not want to feel that way again, I know you said he got another job, but what was the next step in realizing, okay, like what did you do next to put yourself on this trajectory to actually be financially independent today? Well, we started reading, right? And I think the book that changed things for us was Your Money or Your Life, um, which uh, such a radical perspective for us, both in terms of um, kind of learn, you know, the steps of that particular book, right? Like figuring out, um, you know, what, what do you really make and tracking your every penny and most importantly, sitting down on a monthly basis and really asking yourself, like, is what I spent on any particular thing worth the life energy it cost me? Um, was it fulfilling, right? Is it aligned with my values? And if I didn't have to work, would I be doing this? <laughs> would I be spending on these things? Would I be living my life this way? And so I think for us, um, really, we didn't go much, uh, we didn't really read anything else. <laughs> we just mm -hmm. read that book. And it's so rich. Um, the steps are so, um, the process itself is so complex um, and so fruitful, right? It's like any process, you go through the steps, but it's really about how the process itself changes you. And we were very changed over time. And mm -hmm. I think more than anything, um, a real pivot point for us was uh, I got a different job in Boston. And we were part of, there was a Your Money or Your Life group, like a meetup group um, in Boston. And we met up once a month and certainly it was lovely. We had a potluck and people shared, you know, the tips and tricks and hacks and whatnot. But what mattered was that that group had um, what they called accountability groups. So you could sign, if you had been doing at least six months of tracking, uh, you could sign up for an accountability group. And the accountability groups uh, required a one-year commitment. Um, it was six households, 
And we met face to face once a month. And every month, one household was on the hot seat. And that meant that everybody in the group went through your data. Um, and everybody in the group asked you powerful questions about the gap between uh, your data and your goals. And it was brutal. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I either got pissed or cried every single time. Uh, but the reason I mention it is because, um, you know, to state the obvious, um, I have the privilege of having a spouse. Um, two people working on this can move faster than one. Um, we ask each other powerful questions, but even in that situation, there's some questions you're not going to ask each other, right? Um, there's some things that happen in a group. Uh, the group is really going to drill down, um, and ask you the things you're just not going to ask each other. So I think for us, once we got into community, that changed everything and it changed everything both because we could see actual real life people who were already retired. We could see a range of people, a range of people by race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic status in terms of their income, right? A lot of times we don't see people with lower incomes um, figuring out how to be financially independent. Uh, We saw people with all kinds of family structures, right? People with kids, without kids, single, married, divorced, widowed. It just was a really diverse group. And so being able to be in real community with other people, it, it really was the game changer for us. You know, I love that. And as you, like, I'm nodding my head as you're talking because Vicki <laughs> Robin, the author of the book, Your Money or Your Life, was on episode 39 of the podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, she had her, she redid and had the book uh, updated in 2018. So, you know, that is also a book that a lot of people cite as a, like they're a game changer for them or the first time, especially if they've kind of been in the game for a little bit, like to this world. And what mm. I love about where we come since that book has released is that, you know, this online space, like, so the community is so important. And mm. so the fact that now we have, we're able to connect online is, is even better because you know not necessarily everyone is going to have that in-person community they can go to Mm -hmm. Um, and then with like podcasts and blogs and so many people sharing their perspectives you're able to get that that at least one seeing someone else who who maybe you know you can relate to that looks like you doing something which gives you the confidence that you can and then being able to like kind of join communities and kind of get into the mix where this kind of stuff at once, which you didn't even know existed or was not normal becomes normal. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I love that you're mentioning that. So how, how long ago was this that you, you started to go to these, to these groups and to really get like into the groove of this? I would say we, you know, we had our uh, turning point in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in this group probably in 2000, 2001. Um, so quite a long time ago. Right? right. So my my question here is at that point, were you guys in a lot of debt? Were you yeah. kind of out of control with spending? What was your financial yeah. picture then? Hot mess. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were um, living above our means. We had $55,000 in student loan debt. Um, we probably had another about ten to fifteen in um, just consumer debt on credit cards. Um, and, you know, we just, we're just spending, right? Um, then once we started uh, working through that, that process of your money or life, you know, there's nothing like tracking to raise 
your awareness. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, no matter, you know, I think for lots of people, it's like, oh, I kind of know how I spend my money. Well, not really, because when you track your money, it's just like tracking your time. You think you know how you spend it, but there's just something amazing about data, right? And when you see the data of how you're actually spending it, um, it can be stunning and upsetting and shocking. And, you know, it's also an invitation because it's just data, right? It doesn't have to mean anything. It's also an invitation to really see what can change here, right? It's an invitation to get creative about, hmm, how can I get the same outcome uh, by doing something that doesn't cost as much? Or it is really an opportunity to just ask yourself, like, what the hell am I after, right? And a lot of times we're consuming things not for the thing, but for the feeling we get, right? And so, you know, I think for us, just adding reflective and getting curious about how we were spending, looking at that data, analyzing the patterns, and really asking ourselves that most powerful question that took a really long time to sink in. If I didn't have to work, would I be doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. So you guys, you started tracking your spending, started to evaluate the data and make changes. How quickly from like the start of that did you start to dig yourself out of debt and do other things with your finances? Yeah, it took us two years to get out of debt. Um, It took us two years. And I think in that two years, we were really um, learning to live below our means while paying off debt, while um, becoming financially intelligent and getting our finances in line with us, aligned with our values. Um, and I have to be honest, like, is it, it was really thrilling to get out of debt. And it was simultaneously a little depressing. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember because our, uh, our accountability group in Boston like kind of threw a party for us, right? Um, And I can remember eating the cupcake because they wanted us to celebrate, you know, getting out of debt. It's a big accomplishment. And I can remember eating my cupcake and being mad because, yeah, it's a huge accomplishment. I'm so glad I did it. I never thought I could. And yet now I'm starting from almost zero, right? Um, And I'm glad I said something in the moment because the person in our group was like, all of those strategies that you use to get out of debt are about to become the turbo booster of your wealth. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) All that discipline, all of the conscious decision making, all of that's going to start now building your wealth. And you're going to be amazed at how much uh, more quickly things accumulate now that you're not weighted down by this debt. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we started building, building, building. um, And honestly, it took us 15 years from the start to um, actually hitting the number we had set for ourselves. And by the time that we did that, um, we weren't ready to retire. So we kept working for another three years. um, And we just retired uh, last year. At how old? Uh, 46. 46. We're both the same yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, awesome. All right. I want to step back a bit. So you talk about getting out of debt in two years and then using the same st- sort of discipline and strategies to then build wealth and 
grow your investments. Did you Mm -hmm. like after tracking, like what were the steps? Did you like stop going out to eat? Were you very frugal? Did you focus on increasing income? What were the major triggers and levers that you pulled to get to these goals? So I'm not super great at the frugal part. So um, love that. I love, a lot of people aren't. Uh, you know what? I love that you said that because I'm not I'm not that frugal either, honestly. Um, and so love that you said that. So sorry. Go ahead. Well, I appreciate the people who eat the brown bananas and they're couponing and doing all these things. It's just um, I am much, I think, just naturally more focused on how do I increase uh, my income. And I suppose it's also um, a form of privilege to be able, because of my education, because of my professional experience, and because I'm part of a couple with uh, a lot of education and a lot of professional experience, that it just feels easier to me to be able to focus on um, more money coming in than it is to get down into the minutia of detail of like, you know, putting my soaps together at the end of one bar and the beginning of another. So um, for me, the frugal piece has never been a huge emphasis. Um, We were much more interested in how do we uh, generate more income. And so for us, what that looked like, um, I should say, once we got out of debt, our biggest dream was that we would be able to um, live on one person's salary. Right. So we weren't kind of in it from the beginning to retire early because that felt like (laughs) way too big of a thing. Um, Even though we saw people doing it, uh, this was so far outside of how we grew up um, and felt, I don't know, it felt possible, but we needed something, a smaller goal to work towards. So our big dream was that uh, we could live on one salary. And you know, we had a unique situation that um, I was a professor. So basically, when we ask ourselves this question about if we didn't have to work, would we be doing what we're doing? I was like, yes, I love teaching. And I would be, uh, I would teach even if it wasn't paid for it, because I just love teaching. And I am a teacher who I am in the world. Uh, my husband, not so much. Uh, if he didn't have to work, he wouldn't be a consultant. So because I was a professor and because I had the um, opportunity to win tenure, which means having a you know set salary for life, um, we really leaned into me uh, winning tenure um, and also working so that we could live off my salary. And so we hit a point uh, where my husband quit his job and we lived off my salary. And it was, uh, it was interesting. It was like a really great uh, time in my life because our agreement was that if we lived off my salary, that he was 100% in charge of all household labor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was amazing because all I had to do was go to work and um, he took care of everything around the house, um, did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the everything. And of course, um, our life was so greatly enhanced because when I came home from work, the house smelled like fresh baked bread and there was homemade food so we were eating better and the house was clean and um, he was reading and writing poetry and he's quite a Renaissance man. So he had plenty of interesting things to talk about. 
uh, it was great. Uh, it was really um, what we had dreamed of. And then, of course, as often happens, your dreams get bigger, right? Because I saw how he was living, and I thought, hmm, uh, at the same time, I was getting um, disenchanted and kind of outgrowing my job. Um, so really, I wanted to um, also be retired, and it now seemed possible. And, um, you know, we all suddenly started to realize, yeah, we could both do this. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a, mm-hmm. something different. So at that point, how far into the journey um, that you started to want to live off one income, were you able to accomplish that? Probably, let me get mine, probably about seven years. Seven years. Now, were you able to still invest um, aggressively and save at that point that you did that? Or was it primarily you just, did. okay. We did, not at a high rate, but we were able to um, invest. And at that point, we were living in Chicago. So we also had a, we had a, a row house with a downstairs apartment. So we also had the benefit of having a renter um, living in our building. Mm-hmm. So you basically also were able to hack one of the most expensive points of anyone's budget is housing to save money. Yeah. Right, which is which is key. So I love that you talk about how your goals change and evolve because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is really important. Same thing happened to me, I'd say, is, you know, I recently quit my job. You know, it's a bit different. So I quit my job. My husband is working. He's a teacher. We're mm-hmm. living off of his income, but his income doesn't cover everything. And so mm-hmm. I saved up a buffer amount to help kind of bridge that gap until I started making money during – through my entrepreneurial pursuits. Um, But the plan, yeah, but the plan is still to reach financial independence and then decide what we want to do from there. Um, You know, he, Mm -hmm. he likes his job, so he thinks he's going to stay working, but you know, who knows, right? Like who knows what happens hopefully in five to 10 years, if we're able to accomplish like this, maybe he will have the options will open up so much more that he may want to quit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I love that you talk about, you know, you started to dream a bit bigger as you, you got along in the journey. Yeah. And what became clear was, um, for both of us to do this, um, we spent two years sort of living that way, right. With me working and, um, him not, or him working, doing the labor of the household. I don't want to make that sound like it's not work, (laughs) but doing the unpaid labor of the house. Uh, so, when we started to dream bigger, we were like, okay, well, we're going to need, um, we're, we're going to need to do things differently in order to set both of us free. And so at that point, um, he started a business and, um, you know, uh, he started a business and I got to watch, um, what it looks like for someone to just out of the blue, start a business. And, uh, what was interesting is that he was suddenly making a lot more money <laughs> than he ever was working for somebody else, but he had complete um, autonomy and flexibility over his time, and that looked really attractive to me. <laughs> so um, maybe a year later, um, I started. I, I quit my tenure track job, which is unheard of, um, to start a business and. And um, I had watched him do it. So I felt like if he can do that, I can also do that. Um, and so I started a business. Um, and as it turned out, we were both 
pretty good at starting at businesses. Running. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm assuming his consult, it, his, it, it was probably based around what he did previously or was this a totally different yeah. skill set in business? Okay. No, exact same skill set, um, just doing it for himself under his own umbrella. Right, right. And I'm amazed. I mean, you know, there's, I love that you did bring up privilege before because there yeah. is a level of privilege here with the kind Absolutely. of education and skill set that you guys had to be able to like do that. I mean, and the confidence level, right? Like first you had to believe yeah. you can, you two could do this, but I think it's, you guys were set up really nicely to take these kind of jumps and pivots in your life. But then that's not to take away from even that you did it because there are a lot of people who are in your position mm-hmm. but who would never take that leap. Yeah. And also, you know, um, let me add one more, which is uh, we often don't consider our network part of that privilege, right? But it is, right? Because it's also, um, you know, when you start a business, uh, it's also about, you know, do you know other people who started businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have people that you can call um, when you have questions and concerns? Do you have um, a Rolodex of clients? right, of potential clients. Um, All those things are also, I I think we don't always acknowledge that um, that's a benefit, right? And it doesn't mean that I don't certainly know people who have started businesses without those things, but let's be real also that that makes it easier. Right, right. And can I say this, and I understand if it's like a sensitive topic, but also Mm -hmm. it seems that you guys have done this without kids? Yes. So that's, you know, (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to get into why or whatever, but you know, I would I would assume that too like not and not, you know, not having children also affects it. I mean, I have 3 kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, um our journeys are definitely my husband and I like the way we think about our money and the, the putting things away from them it, it, it impacts our journey to financial mm-hmm. independence too. Yeah, I mean in ways that I can only imagine, right? Because I don't face I, you know, again, I just think it's important to acknowledge, like, it's mm-hmm. a completely different um, life experience, but also different sets of questions that go along with it, right? Anything that he and I are deciding, um, the consequences are for the two of us, right? Um, any choices that we're making, any risks that we're taking, they're going to be different for two people than they are for one person with children or two people with children, Um or even, you know, one person with elder care that is significant. So, again, I, I think sometimes people get um, a lot of energy around this instead of just saying, hey, let's talk about um, what's real for us, right? Mm-hmm. And what um, it's okay to acknowledge these things without it being, um, without it being uh, an attack on your, uh, yeah. what you've been able to accomplish. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally yeah. get it. And I think too, I mean, I think we can all learn from each of each other's journeys. Like they don't have to look exactly the same. And so, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, maybe there are some differences in our starting points or there are some differences in like our, fa- you know, the factors, kids or no kids, mm-hmm. single or not. But I think what it comes down to though is the, like the skill sets, which again can, can be different mm-hmm. depending on your educational background and family background, and even your, your, you know, socioeconomic background. But mm-hmm. I think if you have a growth mindset, like these skill sets that you, that you mm-hmm. see in other people that you admire, you can also develop. And so, you know, becoming, you know, mm-hmm. uh, better, whatever subject matter you you're in, right. Or whether 
career you choose, becoming better in that, um, becoming a better people person, having that social intelligence to be able to network, all those things you can improve upon to help increase your chances of reaching financial freedom. Yeah, and I, I love sort of the thinking about the skill sets, right? Because it is also, you know, if you have a growth mindset, it's also true that you can learn skill sets, right? Um, as you said. So, you know, for my husband, um, he didn't have to acquire a huge number of skills to start his business. Um, the difference for me is that uh, I had always been an educator. I had always been a professor. Um, I had never even really worked in a business, much less started a company. And I did have to acquire a number of skills in order to um, be able to do that, right? But those skills are not, um, well, those skills are achievable, right? They're, you can learn them. They are acquirable. And um, being able to learn those, I mean, frankly, building the company was like, this was one of the biggest growth periods of my life is just shifting from the mindset of being a teacher to the mindset of being um, an entrepreneur. And it, it frankly, um, was the hardest thing that I've done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so one of the blog posts that you have, and I will try to link every other, every other blog, every one of the blog posts that we mentioned here <laughs> is that you talk about like you quit your, like you quit your job. So you reach financial independence and you like quit. Not only did you quit your tenured safe teaching job, professor job, you started this business, which did really well. And you also walked away from that um, to actually retire early, which a lot of people actually don't do. Like, so in this space, you know, you'll see people who, and, you know, enjoy their work or don't enjoy their work. And even if they hit their financial independence number, they still continue to like Mm -hmm. actively work. And so can you define kind of like, like, what financial independence like means for you? Like, like, are you actually living off of your investments? Do you Mm -hmm. bring in money to both of you? How does that look? Yeah, we uh, live off our uh, investments. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, I I don't think I'm not part of the retirement police that you have to (laughs) have uh, X, Y, and Z indicators in order to, you know, legit be retired. Um, But for what it means for us, is that we're not working for pay. And, um, you know, that's the ability to do that, to hit that sort of crossover point. Um, that for us feels like freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, Even can I act- as much as I loved my job, right? right. I really did. But you had the options, you know, to, to explore and do things the way you want to. Um, so can I get more technical about just like sure. what that looks like? Cause I think what a lot of people love, like when they hear stories like this is mm-hmm. like, wow, like you can actually, you know, save enough money to like live off yes. of that money. But how does that look? Yeah. Is it through Pat? Like, is it through your real estate investment um, investments? I'm not sure if, you know, if you have a portfolio, is it through your like actually like index investing? Is it through your actual retirement accounts? How are you, what does that look like that portfolio? Yeah. For us, we have a wealth account. And um, it's heavy. Uh, we have a heavy bond portfolio, which I realize many people find um, ridiculous in its conservative nature. Um, but it is reliable interest, and we live off that interest. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of real estate, but um, nothing significant. Um, that's really our core thing. 
Right. Now, where is most of that invested in like non-retirement accounts? Because that's the other question people have is like when you mm-hmm. first start, you know, you want to be tax optimized. You want to, you know, you're pulling a lot of money into your maybe retirement accounts, your 401k mm-hmm. and your Roth IRAs. And then the question becomes, but if I retire early, then I'm not able to directly access that money necessarily without penalty. And so then you're taught to invest in non-retirement accounts in addition mm-hmm. to. So what does that look, look like for you? Yeah, it's the latter. I mean, for us, a wealth account um, is not including uh, those 401ks in our retirement accounts. It is its own thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, it's outside of your retirement accounts. It's really things you can draw down on today, like your after-tax, yeah. non-taxable account. Okay. Yeah. So again, if I thought about myself back in that car, picking my husband up with his box, um, unfathomable, right? Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, if I think back to uh, my childhood, I think back to being at school, unfathomable, right? Um, but I think the key piece is like, it doesn't have to be everything at once, right? Like this was a journey, a true journey of steps, right? Um, that waking up, that getting out of debt, that saving, that moving um, towards a smaller goal, right, of just one of us working, um, and then getting really the, the sense that we could do the whole thing, but it's going to take a significant, um, significantly larger amount of money and being able to say, well, how can we do that? Well, what was available to us was to... Um, roll the dice and try to build uh, two companies that would enable us to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, focusing on the income really like mm-hmm. just turbo boosted your journey. So now that so you're FI um, now, one of the questions that I have is like, and maybe some someone else is thinking this is you like walked away though from both of you to like quit your jobs, quit your companies, walked away from like the continual like amount of income that you would, would have actively like had. And so mm-hmm. you had to be okay with like leaving that money on the table, right? Like it's like, all right, I'm going to walk away from like this well-paying like company because time matters to me more and doing what I want in this yeah. capacity matters. Yeah. And look, um, just to be perfectly transparent. So my husband, my husband didn't just like sh- shut it down. He sold it. Right. Mm. Um, which of course just adds, um, gas to an already, you know, if you've already hit your number and then you just put more on top, um, that's fantastic. Right. Um, for me, I hired a CEO of my company to take over. Um, I still uh, earn from that. Um, I still earn from that. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't consider it like I'm getting paid to do something, but certainly that is also part of uh, what we bring in. Um, but it just adds on top. So we had an unusual situation in that um, both of our businesses worked well. Um, both of them grew. Both of them were profitable. Um, but the walk away part was more about, um, for me, you know, uh, when I was a professor, I felt like I kind of outgrew the job. Um, it became, um, something that felt more like it was keeping me from growing. Um, but in my business, the business outgrew me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I was the right person to start it. 
I was the right person to um, do the kind of foundational work and do uh, the startup phase. But when you start a business and it grows, you also have to know when you've hit the moment where um, you're actually the thing standing in the way of the business becoming really what it can be. Like your leadership moment is over. <laughs> mm-hmm. fact, um, the organization itself, um, it needs more. It needs a new person with new skills and your team, um, they need a new leader. And so for, you know, that's not exactly a happy moment for a founder, but you have to be able to say and realize and notice that what's required for the company to keep growing just needs a new skill set that you don't have. And you can choose whether you want to try to acquire it. Um, But in my case, um, I had built an awesome team and it was ready for a new leader. So I was um, happy to find that person, to find just the right person um, who stepped in and continued to move forward. And what I admire too is that, you know, when we talk about building an investment account, building a portfolio and creating passive Mm -hmm. income, if you're building a business, this would be like a dream to have built a business in a capacity where you still, like you built a business as part of your portfolio that you don't have to actively Mm -hmm. work in, but you still are able Mm -hmm. to profit from. Or in the case of your husband, you build it up to a point where you can sell it and Mm -hmm. reap the benefits in that regard. So I love, I love that. Um, So now let's talk a little bit about the like, the planning process. Cause that's one of the mm-hmm. one things that really drew me to your story and what I wanted to learn more and what I wanted you to share is that you guys have a really in-depth annual planning process, like where you look mm-hmm. back at what you accomplished, what you're looking forward to doing. You even had a blog post about um, the whole, how everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of like that word, having a word <laughs> mantra for, you, <laughs> for their year. And like, I raised my hand, you know, that's me too. But I love how you, like you, frame questions around that. So let's first talk about the annual planning process, what that is, um, like how can someone create that in their own life? Sure. So, you know, you know, the essence of it is um, in that moment of, you know, one year flipping to another, some people it's around their birthday, but most of us have a moment in a year when we naturally pause, right? We take a step back, we think of our life um, and what we want to be different in our next year. Uh, And, you know, for us, um, we took a natural pause uh, around Christmas. And in part, we took that pause because uh, we were we were so tired of the consumption around Christmas and the excess that we decided to just leave the country every Christmas <laughs> because uh, we realized that all the money that we were spending on uh, you know decorations and gifts and parties and Christmas clothes we could actually travel um, for the same amount of money quite uh, for quite a period of time so because we left uh, the country during Christmas. Um, we realize this is a natural time of pause. And so all the planning is, is really giving structure to the pause. It's just asking questions um, that enable you to look back, to look within, and to look forward, right? So 
Uh, I have all the steps in that particular blog post. Anyone's welcome to look at them. But um, it starts off by looking uh, back at the previous year, looking at, you know, and asking some reflective questions. You know, what worked, what didn't work? Um, Did you meet your goals for the previous year? And if not, why not? Right? Not in a judgmental way, or it's not an invitation to go into self-flagellation. It's just in a way of getting curious, right? If I didn't meet them, why? And really looking at our peak experiences. Um, you know, what's happened in the past year um, that we would qualify as a peak experience? What were our unexpected blessings? And if just taking time to ask those questions, we can start with that because it generates so much positive energy. It generates, you know, when we start talking about our unexpected blessings, uh, we feel so grateful, right? It has this energy of gratitude. And when I think about what I want for my life and when I think about planning for the future, I want it all to be grounded in that energy of gratitude, right? Because that's when I'm most expansive. That's when I'm most creative. Um, that's when I'm most likely to create things um, that don't currently exist. So we take a look back um, at the previous year. And then, you know, uh, we certainly think about what's going to be the framework that we examine our life and plan forward. So most people just think about, work, everything else. <laughs> There's two buckets. And, or they think about work and family or work and home. Uh, we sort of have a larger set of domains that we look at. So we look at our health, we look at growth, we look at our purpose, we look at relationships, um, so that we're not just looking in this dichotomous way at our life. Uh, and then we really drill down in each of those domains. And we spend time talking about and writing out, like, what do we actually want? So if I think about my health, what do I, you know, if I think about my life, and I imagine what it looks like in an optimal form, what do I want my physical health to look like? What do I want my emotional health to look like? What do I want my spiritual health to look like, right? And we do the same thing with each of those domains, right? If I think about my purpose, um, what kind of work do I want to be doing? What kind of, what do I want my money and my relationship to money to look like? What do I want my legacy to look like? And we just sort of rotate around um, that framework, but really not saying, what do I want next year to look like? But ideally, what do I want my life to look like in this particular domain? And, you know, it's just about envisioning. And as you can imagine, this can create some interesting conversations because we do this separately and then we share it with each other. And some things are aligned and some things aren't. And it's um, certainly an interesting thing as a couple to explore why that is. Uh, but the point is we really uh, use our, we use our kind of creative muscles, right? We try to build out that ability to see what we actually want, to ask ourselves what we deeply desire, not in the context of constraint, right? But if we could have what we wanted, what would it actually look like in detail? And then, you know, ultimately, uh, we take a pause before we go into goal setting um, to really ask ourselves what would stop us from having what we want. And in our case, certainly there's all the external constraints. Um, there's all of the problems of the world. 
But for us, we always try to focus on what we have control over. And for us, most of the time, what would stop us is some limiting belief, right? Some idea, um, something that maybe was true for us in a previous stage that isn't true anymore. Um, and we try to really surface what those limiting beliefs are um, and really shift them. Uh, really ask ourselves, is that true anymore? Ask ourselves, if that's, is that belief supporting me and moving forward? And then finally, we just sort of get into the concreteness of, if this is the big thing that I want, if this is um, ideally what I want my life to look like, what are the specific goals I can have for this year? And it doesn't mean I'm going to go from this moment straight into my optimized life. It means how can I move forward in this year? What's something concrete that I can set as a goal that's going to help me to move forward towards that? And of course, you know, all the planning in the world is great. But unless you set it into your daily practice, um, it's really difficult for that to come to life. So for us, we uh, create some affirmations, we pick our one word, and we really use them on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the it sounds, overview. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like intense. And I'll definitely link this this in the show notes. But okay. I'm, you know, it's one of those things where too, like it involves work. And I think for a lot of people, even including myself, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you want the outcome of this work. Like, so like, I just like, <laughs> can I just like fast forward and get like, everything you just said, but you have to do the work, like you have to sit down, answer the question, sit down, if you have a partner, do it with them, even if you have children, and they're of, a, of age, where you know, they can, even if it's like a modified version, you can kind of sit down and do it with them um, is important. Um, and so as you're talking, I'm actually thinking, you know, look at you from what I see and we you know we didn't get into too many numbers here in this interview but from what I can mm-hmm. tell you guys are probably living a really comfortable life and mm-hmm. you seem to be very happy and you know you I think you also say you travel a lot still now that you I mean you're you're mm-hmm. quote unquote retired now so you can you have all the time in the world yet you still like sit down every year and you to do this planning, you still do these daily mantras. And it seems like mm-hmm. what got you here are those actions. But because you got into this yeah. place of freedom, you have not stopped, you continue to do it. And I think the biggest gap for a lot of people is you we want that life. But the yeah. work that it takes, it takes the work to do it and the continual work um, to do it. And so I, I like that, you know, it's like you're actually living like that like you're living that truth of this is what it takes to keep it up. This is how yeah. I got here, but this is what I'm going to keep doing. Well, it's interesting too, like we've been doing this particular process for 12 years, right? Um, When we started doing it, um, our life was very different than it is now, right? And your vision grows, your vision expands, your dreams expand, right? But the work to do it uh, is still work. (laughs) It doesn't matter if um, it's never just going to happen right? It's never like magically going to drop in your life. It really is work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And so, you know, before before I let you go, I want to talk about just one other thing that you you had that I really enjoyed. And it was called something called joy habits. Mm. And you were able to actually like implement this more in like a like a daily, like, weekly kind of actual like, process can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about what that is and how we can we can include joy habits in our lives yeah so for me um i to start by saying uh i have a bias here that um a i think joy is different than just happiness 
right? Happiness is sort of an emotion. Um, for me, joy is like a state of being. Um, and I, uh, my bias is I think it's our default state of being, right? It's just that the world's kind of designed to separate us from that. And so uh, if we want to be in that joyful state, if we want to get back to that state of being, for me, I have to do things, right? Because if I'm just sort of living in the world, um, everything feels designed to separate me from joy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, for me, it's like I have to have certain things in my life that remind me that, um, you know, that really keep me in touch with that reality. Otherwise, I'll just forget. And so uh, we certainly have things we do on a daily basis. We have things we do on a weekly basis. Um but there are things that help to unplug from all everything that's set up to keep us from that, right? So maybe a really simple joy habit is that um, we, we we love to watch the news, but um, once it's dinner time, um, TV's off for the rest of the night, right? Um, we sit down and look at each other and eat, <laughs> we, mm-hmm. um, have conversation, um, we read. Right. Um, it's really something very simple, but um, is a powerful kind of just unplugging um, and an unplugging from all these overwhelming messages um, about misery. Uh, it's also the case that um, we take a really long walk every Sunday and uh, we take a long walk, even when it's really cold, uh, in order to have a different type of conversation, right? We call it our crazy talk walk. Um, But it's just a walk where we uh, have one type of conversation, which is um, what do we want? (laughs) How would we serve if we could 10x what we're doing? Um, What what needs to shift for us? Um, And again, how would we live if we didn't have any constraints, right? And it's not... Um, to, it's not to dismiss that we, that there aren't constraints in the world and we don't have them. It's an opportunity for us to really build that muscle of envisioning and to say out loud, what do I really want? You know, um, and oftentimes the best things in our life have come out of those conversations, right? Because when you say to somebody else, what you really want and what you would want if you had no constraints and the other person takes it seriously mm-hmm. <laughs> and starts, um, there's no judgment allowed. There's no criticism allowed. There's no um, kind of, Oh, well let's get real now. Um, the point is it's just a space to walk, um, keep your body moving so it doesn't get in the way and just talk about um, possibilities, right? That's how we built our growth mindset. That's how we built um, really getting in touch with what we desire. Uh, they're just little things, right? Um, mm-hmm. I have a daily, daily gratitude practice, right? Just taking a pause at the end of the day just to be thankful, right? And we don't have a perfect life. Um, things go wrong. But um, reminding ourselves and ruminating on what went well instead of what went wrong, it just shifts our energy, right? And that's the energy that connects that opens that door to joy. Mm, love, love, love that. And so my final question for you, I mean, I could, I can talk to you forever, but my final question <laughs> <laughs> to you is what does your life look like now? So now that you, you're 
retired and financially independent, what is what does your husband what do you do all day? What do you and your husband do? Well, it's funny because I think um people conflate paid employment and work, right? So I think people imagine, oh I'm gonna retire early and uh, I'm never going to work again and uh, everything's going to be easy and I'm going to sit on a beach and blah, blah, blah. That's really not what it looks like. (laughs) uh, Definitely, I think for most people when they retire, there is a honeymoon phase where they, you know, uh, don't have an alarm clock and um, no structure of the day and they do whatever they want and they travel. And, uh, you know, there is that honeymoon phase and everyone who should have that, right? Um, but then at a certain point, you have to decide, what is this chapter of my life going to look like? What is my life going to look like? And, you know, I think the thing we never want to talk about is that that's kind of work, right? Um, the reality is that uh, for early retirement, and, you know, probably for regular retirement, um, there is work to be done. Um, you have to have a massive shift in your identity, right? And that takes an intentional process. You have to create a new structure for yourself. You have to create community for yourself. Um, You have to really re-engage, redefine what your purpose is and what success looks like for you. And so, you know, maybe the way to say it is like, you have to figure out what does a meaningful life look like, right? And it's going to involve structure, community, purpose, and dare I say, work, not -hmm. the kind of work that you're paid for, but really digging in and doing something meaningful with your life. And so, you know, uh, it's kind of funny, because uh, people are always like, Oh, my gosh, what is it like? And I'm like, freedom is awesome. And freedom is also challenging. Because you do, I don't feel, I don't expect anybody to feel bad for me, but um, there is a challenge of like, how do I create a meaningful life now that 40, 50, 60 hours a week are no longer filled with work? Um, I no longer go to a place, I no longer have those relationships, and I no longer have that identity. So that's a long way of saying that our daily life um, probably doesn't look anything like what people imagine. Like, we get up in the morning, uh, we sit down, we both write. So we sit down from 10 to 12 every day and write. (laughs) It looks kind of like work, right? It's just we write and we're not paid for it. Uh, We write, uh, my husband is working on a a young adult uh, novel. I I write for my blog. I do a lot of different types of writing, um, but we write for two hours. Uh, We take a walk every day before lunch. We have our lunch at a leisurely pace. Um, and then in the afternoon, uh, we do our own forms of work. Again, it's unpaid labor, but for me, um, I, I love to serve as a mentor now. And because I was a successful entrepreneur, I leave time every afternoon for calls with other entrepreneurs. Um, I certainly um, continue to have a number of leaders uh, across various sectors who want to have a mentoring call, a confidential mentoring call. Um, I love doing that because I can do deep work with people um, on the phone and uh, I don't need to charge for it. I don't need to make money from it. Um, I don't have a long-term commitment with these people, but um, I'm available for that type of work. 
um, it is for me incredibly meaningful, incredibly fulfilling. Uh, it's also the case that I serve on a number of uh, boards. Um, I advise a number of groups. Um, that's the kind of work that I do in the afternoon. Um, in the evening, uh, you know, four or five, it's time for yoga. <laughs> I'm blessed to have a hot yoga studio right around the corner from my house I can walk to. Uh, my husband goes to work out. We have dinner. Um, and we read. It's in the evening. It's just kind of sounds really boring. <laughs> to most people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is what we choose, right? Um, for us, that creating that life of meaning is about having relationships with friends and family. It's about having time for that. It's about having time to give back in ways that are aligned with our gifts and talents. Um, it's about keeping ourselves physically healthy. It's about doing things like cooking, right, that we didn't have time to do um, when we were both working intensely. It's really, um, I think what matters for people is to start thinking now about the life part, right? So, you know, with your money or your life, when I read lots of fire blogs, it's all about your money. Um, it's all about the minutia of detail about your money. And I think we also need to be thinking about the life part, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we want to be building that before we sort of have this crossover. Because um, if you don't know what a meaningful life looks like, it's not, again, just going to pop out of the sky. It takes work. And it takes work for you to define what it is and to create it for yourself. Right, right. Yeah, I love, I mean, I love that. And I, I mean, I loved, I loved you going into detail about what your day actually looks like. It gives people an idea of like what they can dream of like doing, like if they really had no constraints for time and money. So Carrie Ann, thank you so much for this like wealth information. Can you please let people know where they can find you if they want to just le- learn more, read about your blog? You're, you have an Instagram account too, so share that please. Yeah, so the blog is thebestchapter.com um, and my Instagram is running into fire. Right, and I will link that again in the episode show notes for this episode. Thank you so much again, Carrie Ann, for coming on the show and sharing your perspective and life story. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that insightful conversation with Carrie Ann. I'm really just happy she was able to share her journey with us. Like I mentioned before, it's not too often that we actually get to see someone who's living a life of financial independence where they have reached their goals, where they are working because they want to and doing the things they love. I mean, wouldn't we all want to do that? And so I thought she gave some amazing tips, amazing things that we can think about, frame our life in a way in which we really start becoming intentional about how we plan and think about our life. So if you want any of the episode show notes for what Carrie Ann talked about, some of the blog posts that we mentioned, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 80. As I mentioned before, Carrie Ann is going to be joining us in the Launch Club. That's my premier membership community where I'm able to dive into the topics more off from the podcast and to have experts come in, teach courses, classes, and where you really get that community and support. So Carrie Ann talked about this in the episode that community support is important. And that's why I created the Launch Club. So you can have that. So you can have a network supporting you to reach your goals. So later this month, actually, we're going to have a credit expert come in on the podcast. We're going to have Shante Nicole. Shante is a credit expert. She was on episode 37. If you want to check that episode out, 
that's journeytolaunch.com slash episode 37. She broke down the basics of credit, how to understand it, how to utilize it. And we're going to dive deeper in that in our masterclass in the launch club. So if that sounds like something you need, then come on, come on to the launch club. Again, you can join us at journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. We're going to be having the credit class later this month. And any of the classes that you can't make live are in the launch club for you to watch on your own time. We have the budget boot camp in the launch club. We have a past Q&A live guest Takaya, who's a single mom who went from $100,000 in debt to $500,000 in saving. We have her live show after chat in the launch club. So come on, check that out too. If you want to share with me your thoughts on this episode, you can at me at Journey to Launch, post it on your social media, at me, let me know what you thought of it. And, and let's, let's have a conversation. You know, I'm just always excited to bring you this content, to talk to you, to help you on your journey. So until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers.